Hello and welcome back to the Cosida Connection podcast presented by the Young Professionals Committee. We are so excited to be back at it with a new podcast. And as always, I'm Katie Mucci. My co-host here is Katie Gwen Hewitt. Uh, Katie, before we move on too much, since our last podcast, a lot's been changing for you. You have a new baby. You have a new job. Um, talk about all that. Update us a little bit before we get into this. Yeah, it's been a crazy time. I'm really glad to be back doing this with you. Um, so recently, I moved to Philadelphia with my family, my husband and my son, Tyrus. Um, I accepted a job working at Temple University here in Philly, so it's been like a crazy few months getting to learn a new city, a new job, um, not working as an SID as my main job anymore like I was, um, doing more some like digital strategy and social media and stuff like that. So just learning a lot, but thank you for asking. Of course, I'm really excited for everything you're doing. I've obviously, as a friend of yours, been following along and super excited for everything. Um, But in addition to Katie's changes, we also have some changes within the Young Professionals Committee. Jason Oliveira is the new vice chair, so we want to say welcome him, Welcome to him. He's been a huge help getting this podcast up and running over the last few weeks and month, um, so we're really excited to welcome him. So uh, I don't know that he knows we're giving him a shout out, but I did ask for his last name pronunciation, so he probably has an idea. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Katie, I will let you intro the guests. Awesome. Well, also welcome Jason and thanks for the handoff, Katie. So everyone with our first podcast back, we want to chat about um, something that pretty much everyone in this business can relate to and that is finding student help. Not only can it be really hard to find students willing to give up weekends and evenings to help with game day activities, but it can also be tough to find ones who will be there for a few years or even ones who have a passion for this business. Yeah, definitely. And when planning out this podcast idea, we really wanted to find some SIDs who seem to have mastered this, or at least really have a good grasp on hiring student help and finding the best people. Um, so our two guests today are Brian Savard of Plattsburgh State and Sean Medeiros of Endicott College. Guys, welcome. Hello, ladies. Glad to be on. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, before we dive in, we want to learn a little bit more about you guys, starting with you, Brian. Tell us where you're from, what you do, how you got your start, all that jazz. Sure. So uh, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, uh, the western suburbs uh, on the main line. I uh, went to Susquehanna University. I graduated from there in 2008. Uh, I sort of got into the business, uh, I don't want to say almost by accident, but I was a s- student worker my senior year, and I was uh, I was recommended to go into sports information after having uh, done a PR internship for uh, the USOC heading into my senior year. And uh, our SID left a week into the season, and uh, I ended up having to sort of pick up the uh, the entire office and figure out how to learn stack, you know, how to do stack crew, you know, uh, graphic design, writing, all that sort of stuff, and uh, sort of fell in love with it. And from there, I uh, went to the University of Redlands, so I flew across the country and uh, moved out there for two years, and then uh, I got a head SID job at at SUNY New Paltz, uh, about three and a half hours south of where I'm at now. Uh, I was there for six years, and uh, I've been, now been at Plattsburgh. I'm in my fourth year, and uh, you know that's sort of the long and short of how I got involved. Awesome, Brian. Well, we're glad to have you, and thanks for introducing yourself. Sean, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I got into the profession after working in the journalism field as a graduate assistant at Castleton State University. Uh, from there, I went to Stonehill. Then first head job was at Wheaton, and now I'm at Endicott. I'm currently in my fifth year there. 
uh, really enjoy the atmosphere at Endicott, um, just in the fact that, you know, we promote uh, the sports equally club and varsity. It kind of makes a unique proposition for us. Um, but, you know, just obviously love this field and love the people in it even more. So that's what kind of excites me about the field moving forward. And then, you know, something like this that we're putting on tonight is also um, fun as we kind of try and help everyone, including ourselves along. So, um, yeah, it's just been a fun ride since I've ever started in the business. Never, never have had a day that I didn't like. So I kind of really appreciate that about this profession. Well, that's always a good thing. Thank you guys for introducing yourselves. We are going to now pick your brain for some tips and tricks that other SIDs can use for hiring student help, training student help, getting the most out of those kiddos. <laughs> um, the method I think we want to go for this is just kind of doing almost like the hiring process. We'll start out with some questions about the hiring, advertising the job, things like that, move on to training, actual on the job. So um, starting out with hiring um, and advertising. One question we got, we crowdsourced a lot of these from our committee and from, from the Facebook <laughs> and um, the, one of the questions we got about hiring and pro, or advertising the job is um, what kind of methods do you guys use to put the job out there, get people to see it? Um, do you hand out flyers? Do you put it on social? All of the, those job fairs, what, what works for you guys? And we'll start off with Brian. So we actually uh, just got a, uh, a new uh, job hiring uh, system on campus here this year that's been awesome. Uh, it's called Handshake. I'm sure a lot of campuses use it, mm -hmm. and it has been awesome. I believe I, I posted my position probably about a week before classes started, and I think I've had over 100 people apply for, for my position at a school that has you know f about 4400 people uh it's you know it, it was pretty overwhelming in terms of the number of applicants i had uh so i found you know that you know it just in terms of casting a wide net uh that's that's worked pretty well for me i think uh, honestly a, a lot of my best student workers that i've had are uh folks who uh played played a sport in high school and potentially came here to play a sport, and it may not have worked out for one reason or another. Uh, and I've sort of picked them up, whether you know they they quit the team or you know or uh, they were cut from the team, and the coaches usually uh, put me in touch with these folks, and and uh, they they tend to have uh, a grasp of the game that, you know, I find in certain sports like uh, lacrosse, where uh, there are a lot of <laughs> rules and whatnot that are, <laughs> that are unique to that, to that sport. Having somebody who played that uh, gives them a little bit of a leg up. And, and I think, uh, you know, certainly word of mouth over the years, the longer I've been at places, uh, you know, people are like, Oh, it's not, you know, it's not too bad working in, in uh, athletic communications. So, uh, you know, there's the casting the wide net method, which certainly uh, I do for, for some of my less skilled positions like, uh, you know, ball runners and that sort of stuff. But for some of my more skilled positions like, you know, uh, folks helping me out with stats, uh, people doing, you know, video content for me, I'm a, I'm a little bit more targeted in my recruiting efforts for that. That makes sense. What about you, Sean? What's your what's your method? So it might sound like a promo for Handshake here, but the college has used Handshake <laughs> uh, at, at least since I've been here. So now in year five. So they use that quite a bit. We have a work study fair that um, all students who are work study eligible attend. They actually know beforehand if they're work study eligible. So you don't get people uh, generally who can't get paid for those positions. So we found honestly that since we're our department is called sports information, but 
like maybe last year we actually switched our our little like sign at the the uh, fair to say athletic communications and more people have gravitated coming over because they don't understand the term sports information. Uh, so that's been a bonus. But uh, generally we, we get a lot of people from that, that avenue alone. And then I've actually had some, some luck with Twitter, just students like posting about, um, you know, them wanting to do photography at Endicott, or we had a student who was really interested in writing sports and I found her blog and then emailed her once she got on campus um, and then the student photographer, Nick uh, Grace, he ended up interning at Duke, um, and he's been tremendous for us for wow. four years, so we're going to be really uh, sad when he leaves for multiple reasons. But then it's sort of word of mouth, like, Brian, we get these students in who you know, feel some ownership in their roles. We try and situate them as best as we can in their skill set. So unlike Brian, we just have to worry about sports information. We don't have to worry about scoreboard operators and, and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, we can get them situated that way. And then one thing that we've been able to do to retain certain students is holding monthly meetings based on their skill set. So we have about five photographers right now. Four of them are freshmen. Uh, one's a sophomore and then there's Nick. So we actually have used it so that Nick is earning or learning how to manage a student population sort of as the manager, like the senior leader. Um, so he's getting experience in being a manager. So when he graduates, he can already put that on his resume. And then those students are following him because they've seen his work. And then we'll do the same thing with our broadcasters. We'll have either biweekly or monthly training sessions where we'll go over film with them and say, you know, how did you prep for this? Did you look at this angle for stats or this story? Um, we're starting to get them to meet more with coaches. So we're really developing students. And I think that's the biggest key. It's not like they just show up to the game you kind of give them a pat on the shoulder, like, hey, great job on stats today, and they leave. We try and hold as many training sessions as we can monthly and make them really feel like they're part of the overall effort. And I feel like that's been the biggest key for us more than anything. Once we get them in, um, then they feel like they're really involved in matter, and then they start telling everyone else, and then it kind of snowballs after that. That makes a lot of sense. And I can also attest to Handbrake being a pretty good um... – I think even though I've been at a conference, um, I think the University of Georgia at least used to use it, and we were able to advertise a job there when we were near Athens. So I can co-sign that. We've also done <laughs> social media, and have, it's been hit or miss, but um, it's been a thing. Um, you guys kind of, or Brian kind of ta- or touched on it about former athletes from high school maybe, um, but one of the questions we got uh, from one of our committee members is how do you guys, and you kind of already answered it, but maybe if you have experience at another school that didn't use Handbrake, how do you go about finding non-student athletes? I know especially at a lot of D3s or smaller colleges, they get a lot of like out-of-season student athletes who just know about the department and decide to come work there. Um, have you guys found success with non-student athletes, um, whether they were never an athlete in high school, whatever, and they just happened to stumble in? What have you guys found success in? I guess I'll go to Sean first this time. Yeah, so we, we have, we have um, a lot of the non-student athletes end up doing office hours. So we'll have them work on record books, updating the website. Uh, It's been actually a tremendous help this year. We've had two students who uh, weren't former athletes at all, but they've been really involved in updating our website. We've even helped them or allowed them to build our rosters for the winter season. Uh, So that took a lot off our plate, not doing bios, not doing any of that stuff. And then it's sort of the same thing as just allowing them to create ownership. We'll give them projects that are sort of monthly projects. So they know when they come in, they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, some end up transitioning and working to games and they kind of enjoy it. Uh, I feel like some of our best student workers have been students that, that don't know anything about a certain sport. 
and they sort of get really into the sport because they're starting to learn something different and they find value in that. Um, a broadcaster that we've had come in, he knew nothing about field hockey and now he won't let anyone broadcast field hockey. Um, it's like <laughs> his team and he's very territorial about it. Um, so it's, it's been unique in that aspect that, you know, we, the thing that we sort of showcase to those students more than anything is that we want to be as flexible with their schedule as possible. And I think over time, when especially they go to those work study fairs, they start to see like, you know, this, this group that's on campus will say like, oh, you can only work Tuesday, Thursdays from this time to this time. That's what we have for you. Where we'll have students come in that'll work from three to five on a Thursday or nine to 12 on a Wednesday or work the games. So I think there's a little bit more availability and that also allows them to um, work more hours and be more involved. I think that's been the biggest thing is we don't cap the students. So I guess a couple of those things combined have really helped us. Makes sense. Anything, anything to add to that, Brian? Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, so both schools that I've worked at, uh, as a, as a full-time SID, uh, I've had a, a communications program on, on campus. You know, the, the one that I have at Plattsburgh State, uh, here's a little bit more robust than I had at New Paltz, but I, I know, I know that I, I can rely on that program certainly to find me cam, uh, camera operators. I, I almost exclusively uh, go through that program for camera operators, and I, you know, it's funny. It's one of those things that you don't realize is the most important part of your game day operation mm-hmm. until you have somebody that is is not good at that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I sort of built my my uh, my webcast through talented and skilled and trained, you know, camera operators first. And most of the time they uh, they jump at the opportunity because most of the other opportunities they have to do that are, you know, at best for credit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that we're, we're paying them to do that, that <laughs> uh, they usually jump at it. And, uh, you know, I think certainly uh, most of the sports we have, you know, that we're you know doing broadcasts for, they find it enjoyable anyways, you know, to they feel like they're a part of the event. So certainly we've had success there. Uh, and then, you know, I found, again, both the, both the colleges I've been at uh, have been of similar size, around 5,000 students, which is, you know, relatively small, you know, for, for a public institution. And, and we, you know, I, I try to get around on campus, you know, get, mm-hmm. you know, make, make uh, connections with different student groups on campus and, and be sort of a face on, on campus and folks, you know, uh, ask you what you do and, and you know, when, when I tell them what my job is, they're sort of like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, we have, uh, you know, we, we're always looking for students. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of students on campus who aren't student athletes just aren't aware of of the opportunity, you know, I mean, obviously all the student athletes who work for me, I mean, they, they have, you know, pretty easy access to know like what we do. And there's a lot of word of mouth there, but I make sure, I think there's always, I, I try to make a concerted effort to have a, a real balance between student athletes and non-student athletes and, and certainly even folks who uh, don't come from an athletic background. Like, you know, uh, what Sean said, uh, you know, in, in having folks work in the office, I think that it's really important sometimes to bring somebody from a, a different perspective and a different background and, and have them, uh, you know, help you out and, and look at things in ways that I may not have thought of. So, 
I uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think just being really involved on campus and connecting with different student groups uh, will pay dividends in the end, even though certainly, you know, there's no question. There's a lot of time that goes into that. Awesome. Well, I have one more question before we start moving on to uh, back to Katie and then uh, talk about some training. What just a really short question. You don't even necessarily have to explain yourself. But what is one question you always ask in an interview that you think is most important? And I'll start with Brian. I would say, you know, I and and I, I would say this carries for both when we're hiring a coach and when I hiring a student worker is I want to know what they're most proud of. Uh, certainly when uh, that's a lot more that can be a lot more relevant for a coach or an assistant SID hire <laughs> than for a student. But I like I want to know I, I, I want to know what you know what they get excited about what you know what makes them tick and, mm-hmm. and i think that you know and that's not that's not a question i i would certainly lead off with that's going to be one that i have toward the end after i've sort of gotten a baseline for for their experience but uh i i like i want to know what drives them ultimately and and any question that can uh you know get them to that you know point uh is is really valuable for me it uh, you know i don't look for people who are you know who want to be a career sid i mean obviously it's great when they do but i uh, the the some of the best student workers i've had have gone on to you know work in finance or have gone you know gone on to do completely different things than sid mm-hmm. work and i you know i just want them to be passionate about something awesome and we'll move over to you sean what's the one interview question that you love to ask people so i i generally just like to ask what their their goals at endicott are um what they want to get out of their four-year experience and then how we can help them do that whether that's just supplying them a job for money for (laughs) for the weekend or if they want to um you know go on and be a writer or a broadcaster or learn social media i think that starts the the conversation it makes them feel a little bit more comfortable and then you know, one big thing I feel like Brian and I have discussed, you know, on the side as just friends being in the business is like being connected with them as students more so than just them working. Uh, so the more questions you ask in the long run about what their goals are and, and what their, you know, their experiences, it's it's better off in the long run. But that's usually the one that I lead off with. And then we kind of bridge a lot of gaps um, off that question, you know, start to learn where they're from, um, you know what they enjoy as, as people outside of, you know, working for us. And then it kind of makes it a little bit more personable. Um, and then it's a really easy relationship after that, but usually students for the most part have a really good answer in terms of what they want to accomplish. And then if there's any way we can help them do that, that's pretty much my goal that I tell them that that's what our four year goal for them. If they stay in our office for four years is whether that's helping them get internships um, or connecting with students on campus more because that's that's part of it too. Sometimes the students just want to get a work study job to make different friends. Um, so we allow that to happen as well. We have a lot of work study students that just kind of come by the office and hang out, which I'm completely fine with. Um, so that that's the big that's the big one for me. Awesome, that's a good one. Uh, my normal question is, what animal would you be? So those are a little more serious than mine, but that's fine. <laughs> a little bit more serious, yes. <laughs> It's fine. I just really like to know what you'd be. Um, Well, now I'm going to move over to um, Katie and let her ask some questions about training. So Katie, take the reins. Thanks, Katie. Just kidding. Um, 
Yeah, guys, so so definitely moving into, like, the training section of it. So you, you've gone through the interviews, you, you've set your team, and now you need to, like, put those those players, for lack of a better term, in action. So how do you determine how much responsibility to give a student and, like, what kind of leash do you give them or do you not give them a leash? Like, how, where do you start? And we'll start with Brian. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, boy, that's a fantastic question. I would say it really depends <laughs> – on the person, I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's a single student I've ever hired where I just give them unlimited reign from the get-go. Uh, I, I start the, you know, I, I tend to, as probably a lot of people do, I try to have folks, on, at least my game day workers, in somewhat specialized roles. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want a different person every game operating the lacrosse shot clock because that, you know. Uh, that, that's no good. You know, that, that definitely there's a learning curve there, you know, with a lot of the tasks we have. Um, but, you know, I find that, um, you know, as the season progresses, there's certainly some folks I find that are, uh, you know, I, I see something in them where, where they're a lot more reliable beyond just what their job is. And I might have that person, uh, you know, provide leadership within, you know, our game day operation where, where they're starting to call some shots. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, especially during our crossover seasons, we, we've got, you know, we've got some events that we have, you know, basically run by our students. And, and, and it's really important for me to have had those folks, you know, that I trust to be able to step in and, and run the show to say, okay, you know, stats are going to be taken care of. The game clock's going to be taken care of. Our broadcast's going to be taken care of. You know, we're going to make sure that we leave the press box and the filming deck, you know, cleaner and better than when we found it. Uh, you know, and, and and likewise with those students, I, you know, I make it clear that they have elevated responsibility within my student staff, uh, and then I pay them slightly more accordingly. You know, it, it, sometimes it's more symbolic than anything i know you know in new york state our minimum wage keeps <laughs> increasing every year so you know i right now i'm paying my you know quote unquote student leaders you know uh you know 30 cents above minimum wage and the minimum wage is going to jump up way above that in january and then likewise i'm going to adjust those students to you know 30 cents uh an hour more than that so I, and I think that that helps, you know, build morale within those people and give certainly my more motivated workers who aren't at that point yet uh, something to strive for. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Sean, what about you? How, how do you determine how much responsibility to give a student? So it depends on their initial interest and in what they want to do. So if it's camera, that's like training, you know, an hour before the game. If it's stats, we normally overstaff our first two weeks of games. So generally speaking in our sport assignment breakdown, I only have football, equestrian and club sports in the fall. Um, we've been able to sort of outsource cross country to interns the last two years and guide them a little bit. And then our two other assistants, one being a men's volleyball head coach who just kind of helps out with women's soccer and women's volleyball. They handle their sports and the GA has his sports. So what I'll do is I will actually do side training in the games with the student athletes or the students. Um, so if it's a soccer doubleheader, I'll work both soccer matches and I will train students on stats on a separate computer. And then for a second game, if they've been doing well in the, the stats training, uh, that doesn't count because it kind of takes the pressure off them. We'll push them over to, you know, if the women played first, we'll move them to the men's game second and kind of allow them to, you know, 
be in the fire a little bit. So we kind of let them know like, hey, everything is fixable. We have everything on video. If we ever miss anything, we can always write it down and go back. Um, so that's kind of how we, we started with the stats people, uh, the spotters and the inputters. We'll put them right on a computer right away. Um, basically tell them failure is completely okay in this scenario. Um, we're not concerned about getting the stats right because we're not putting them on official stats. And then broadcasters, we will have training with them prior to games, kind of hear a reel, hear what um, they would do um, in a meeting, how they would broadcast things, and then we'll kind of give them the, the keys uh, to a game and then evaluate it afterward. And then photogs, we just kind of throw them out there into the fire, see what they shoot, and then adjust after that. Um, but the biggest thing we try and make is a safe environment so no one feels like their failure is, a, is catastrophic to whatever we're doing. Um, and then you see kids take you know, the lead and, and feel a little bit better about, you know, moving forward and being on the real live stats computer. Um, and we've, we've had some kids excel in that area, but generally speaking, we try and have the SID at least input, uh, and then have students spot. And then, like I said earlier, if, if, a, if a student excels right away, we just bump them right in and, and let them, um, be really a part of the real thing. And they, they seem to enjoy that, at least in my experience. Sean, you, you really touched on our, what our next question was, and I think that's awesome. And so we'll, we'll maybe try to take a different spin on it. But our next question that, that we had um, presented to us was, how do you find time to teach? And I know from personal experience, um, a lot of times, a lot of the people that I've worked with, especially in the office and during office hours, they don't have the time or the energy to teach an intern, especially if the to do it again like every semester or every year so like how do you overcome this and and like you just said I think on game day there's a lot of opportunities but maybe more so in the office when you're just like spread so thin covering multiple sports like trying to get your stuff done and John we can probably just start with you on that one yeah no that's great um I kind of view the first month of the year as kind of like an all-go month um I'd rather take the time to train a student during the day and maybe stay an hour or two later on a Monday or, or whatever, what have you, um, just to get my stuff done on the end. Um, I feel like over the course of time, if you find a way to spend that extra half hour or that hour with that student in the beginning, once you get into October and closer to crossover season, the benefit pays off immensely. Um, so we try and we try and do it early and just kind of put in those extra hours in the beginning. And I know that's not ideal given the amount of hours that we already put into the profession in general, but I just feel like if you're showing them that you're bought in, then they will buy in more and then it just benefits everyone down the road. So that's sort of what we do. It's not ideal by any means to stay later on some days, but I felt like that's been most effective for us at least. And I don't know how Brian feels, but I'm sure he has some good tips as well. Yeah. So for me, I, I, you know, I, first and foremost, I see, you know, that I'm an educator. I'm at, I'm at an institution of higher learning, and while it might be inconvenient uh, to, you know, in your day, whether it's September or October, it never. I feel like there's never really a good month where, <laughs> where we have a ton of time. Uh, but I always feel it's my obligation to make time to, to mentor students. You know, whether it's my, my interns, my student workers. Uh, because a, I want them to do a good job uh, for us, uh, but also you know, especially with people who you know are going to use these skills you know in their in their lives you know after Plattsburgh State, uh, I want to make sure I'm contributing toward that. Um, and I you know I don't think I'm doing my job and I'm putting them 
uh, in a position to succeed if I don't invest time in them. Uh, there's no doubt that that might be, I, I feel like that might be one of the uh, more challenging balancing acts of my job is, is balancing, you know, hands-on training with students and then, you know, cranking out work on my own. Uh, obviously, some things that, you know, I can't necessarily delegate to a student. I can't uh, have a student, uh, you know, uh, pour through, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, NCA volleyball information for my rack committee, but they sure can help me out with bios and stuff like that. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> Thanks for sharing your thoughts on the the training section, I guess, of the podcast and and of this issue of student workers and hiring and keeping them. So I'm gonna pass it on to Katie, and she's gonna talk to you guys a little bit about working. Thanks, Katie. Well, obviously, so like we said, you've hired, you've trained, now you've got them working, they know what they're doing. Um, so a couple of things we wanted to ask about, um, now that you've worked with them for a bit, um, we'll say, you know, at this point, you're a couple months into the season. How do you keep your good students? Maybe they're sophomores, juniors, and you want to keep them for next year, but then try to maybe weed out the bad ones. And maybe that's a touchy subject to say that you're trying to weed people out, but how do you do that with, without, I guess, hurting feelings maybe? Um, I'll start with Sean. So I think that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> what we do, I'll start with the good students first, if you will. Um, so what we do is after we get through the majority of the fall, for instance, if we're going to start with where we are in the academic year now, we will evaluate the, the students who are best at what they do. We will offer them championship games uh, as a reward. So that's one. Two, when we move into the winter season, um, you know, if they're really good at spotting, we'll say, Hey, we want you to be on the majority of X for women's hockey or men's ice hockey or basketball or whatever. So now they're saying, okay, well, wait a minute. They're asking me to do mm -hmm. this because I'm good at the job. So I feel like that retains them a lot more, uh, especially when we're basically saying like, Hey, you've been doing great all year. Like we want you to have more hours and we want you to do these games because we feel confident with you being there. Um, with, the other students were honestly kind of, you know, just honest with them and say like, hey, I don't know if this is a good fit for you to be a stats person. Um, one one student in particular, she writes for us quite a bit, um, but she can't handle fast paced sports for whatever reason. She just kind of gets shy. Um, so we put her in different roles and just say, hey, like you're better suited off in this role and, and it's nothing against you or anything like that. But um, you, you just handle this part of the sports information tasks better than you know someone else so we try and kind of yeah. like do that like little sandwich <laughs> right the compliment sandwich like there's some good there's some bad um and then we try and situate them in roles as best as we can and we'll just be honest and say like hey if you want to end up doing more of x you know come in for training we'll go over stuff we'll help you out um we obviously want to keep you um but some of the things with stats or whatever is just not working out for us so i think the more you're apt mm -hmm. to be honest. The students respect that more than just kind of like weeding them out by like giving them, you know, different stuff on the sign up sheet or like not really allowing them to sign up at all. Um, it's kind of like a bad friendship if you just stop talking to someone. Um, so we don't want to stop giving them involvement, but we'll just give them different involvement and explain that. And then always, like I said earlier, just offer up those training sessions and then go from there. And usually those conversations end up being more beneficial than just kind of like cutting them out of yeah, the, really the like hours that, um, um, that without really telling there, them why. You said compliment sandwich, but I think also just to keep, and one of the questions that came out too was how do you keep students motivated? And I think part of that is finding what they're good at. It's 
just I hear I see a lot on the SID boards of people who are upset with how their students work or or that they don't do something to the best ability. But like you said, if you find someone who, whose stats isn't their forte, but they might be really good at broadcast. And I think you made a good point of just trying to maybe shuffle them around a bit um, to see where, where they work the best and, and where they um, kind of find their niche at. Um, Brian, any, any extra things you want to add in there? Yeah, I mean, I I a hundred percent agree with Sean in that you know they're not they're never fun conversations to have, but I think with students with students who are underperforming, you have to be direct with them. And and to be honest, in in my you know ten some odd years supervising students, I've never once had a direct conversation like that where the uh, person on the receiving end of that didn't agree. You know, I mean they. It's certainly, you know, if, if somebody, you know, I remember I had a music operator at, at hockey, uh, you know, two or three years ago, uh, who uh, played, uh, and not that it's a, a bad song, uh, <laughs> it, it's wonderful, uh, but played The Little Mermaid uh, three times during a men's <laughs> hockey game. I love uh, it. And, and, oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, our, our, our fans did not love it as much. Um, mm. And so, uh, you know, and it's, I'm all about giving second yeah. chances to students. And that with this particular individual, we gave him a few chances. It just wasn't working out. And, and I, I try to not make it personal toward them, you know, and, and it's, it's really hard for for a student to to not take things personally, but I mean, you know, it's, it usually is like, hey, like I don't think you're enjoying this, yeah, you know, and it and it almost always is. They're like, yeah, you're right, like I I don't enjoy this, uh, and then on the flip side, I know I started with the the negative, but but you know, in keeping my students motivated, you know, I I mean, I think one of the carrots that I that I have is. Uh, I mean, we've been fortunate to to uh, be very good in the sport of women's ice hockey, and and we've advanced you know pretty far in the NCAA tournament, and the and the fact that they uh, are getting an opportunity to work you know national semifinal, national quarterfinal games, uh, it is incredibly meaningful to them, even if they you know aren't necessarily putting that on a resume. And, you know, I and then we've we uh, are often a, a predetermined site in uh, the sport of men's ice hockey over in Lake Placid. So that's a desirable trip for our students to want to go down there for the weekend and have, you know, the college comp their hotel room. Like, I mean, I think uh, stuff like that, you know, our students, uh, I mean, not I feel like my my good students, I don't need to motivate in, in that way, but I I don't. Uh, I think it certainly helps to be able to give them, as Sean said, you know, postseason hosting responsibilities because it's important and they see their their work appreciated on on a big stage and um, you know uh, it's uh, you know it's a, it's really a great thing to be able to to give to them as as a reward because they you know I always say I can't. I can't do my job without them, and, and I just make them feel appreciated. And, and I think more than anything, I, I, I think my genuine appreciation from the bottom of my heart uh, goes just as far as, you know, working a, a meaningful hockey game. Hello, everyone. We have been having such a great time talking with Sean and Brian today that we actually ended up going long enough for two podcasts. We're going to cut this one off right here, but you'll have to stay tuned next week to hear us talk more about the best questions to ask during an interview, how to properly train your student workers, 
and how to help them make the most of the experience as they graduate and move on in life. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week.